You're listening to the Lucas Askew Experience. Now, here's your host, the one and only, Lucas Askew. That's where I was confused on, like, when we kind of really started, but didn't really start. I was like, at one point, does he, like, are we actually starting? Because I feel like you all have had an opening. Hello, world. Welcome to the Lucas Askew Experience. Season 2 is in full effect. And today we've got a bang-up show for you, all the way from Brooklyn, New York, an East Coaster at heart. Tim Ryan joins us from all the way on the East Coast to come. Oh, it's terrible. This is, when, I, when I don't have the script on this, I'm, I'm, I'm bad. Uh, screw it. Tim Ryan, just introduce yourself and we'll go from there. Hello, LAE faithful. Tim Ryan here. It's good to be here. Uh, Lucas. Thanks for finally having me on, man. You know, it uh, it took 20-odd episodes, but your, your name was called kind of like the draft lottery, the ping-pong balls. It happened to be your number, and I'm so glad you could join for the conversation today. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I'm not going to be a bust. Uh, if I'm anything like my all of my fellow Buffalo Bills draft picks, uh, it's not, not promising based on the history. So hopefully I'm a Josh Allen type, and hopefully both of us succeed uh, well this time. I wouldn't have ever compared you to Josh Allen, but uh, Tim Ryan, I think it's a very similar type of name. So, yeah. That's pretty much where it ends, considering he's 6 foot 7 and I'm 5 foot 6. I'm sure you <laughs> both have big hands. <laughs> How you doing? I'm good. One of my best friends from high school had a wedding this weekend. So it was, uh, it was down there. It was actually it was awesome. It was a good time. It was good. He's basically like you're, you're one of. My, I have a few friends that he's similar to, and you're one of them. Very goofy, loves impersonations. Like this kid's George W. Bush, Zoolander, Southern dude, French dude. Like he can do everybody, and he's like flat out hilarious. I put it out here in episode one of uh, season two of the Luke Sassy Experience. Joe Rogan, I, I don't quite understand how he has such an appeal. So if you can tell me, because you obviously listen to both experiences, the Lucas Askew experience and the Joe Rogan experience, what makes the Joe Rogan experience such, such so more of a connective tissue uh, in your mind? Well, I think, uh, not to say that he's more of a connective tissue than, than you are. I mean, I'm I'm equally connected to both, and if yeah. not more so to you, since yeah. I know you, you, you uh, need you need multiple connective tissues in or in a body. So I, I understand, but very the, true. like you look just from a aesthetic standpoint, he's got a very scary looking album cover art. Like his guests range from very top celebrities to n- no names or lesser names. I've listened to a couple, obviously. I, I'm not hooked. So so tell me, convince me on the Joe Rogan experience. <laughs> Well, I started off, um, I think the first one of his I listened to was uh, Chris Stapleton, that country singer. So I was just curious to hear what this guy, Chris Stapleton, really sounded like, what he was all about. Um, <clears throat> so I was listening to Joe Rogan and was impressed that it was a two-hour, 45, two-hour conversation. Where I mean, kind of like what we were going to talk about. They just talked. Talked about anything, seemed fairly unscripted. Joe seemed to know what he wanted to at least ask, but it was very free-flowing. I think Joe's Rogan's podcast has been successful because he's been at least a recognizable face and name for a while across 
his fear factor stuff and all the other crap. News radio, like news yeah. radio, UFC, like I had news radio. I had never heard of okay. that. I had never heard. Well, of. Well, actually, I, I forgot about Fear Factor. You're right. I knew him from Fear Factor. I didn't even know he had had a stand up uh, routine whatsoever. Didn't even know he was still doing it because I actually don't. I think he's funny on a normal like guy to guy basis, uh, but I don't find him as like oh yeah he's a stand up comedy funny. So I was surprised by that. So <clears throat> I just kind of got hooked because then that was a good conversation. And then, yeah, his library. I mean, he had already had a thousand plus podcasts already because he's been doing it for a while. And he just has all these guys that um, across a bevy of genres and topics and all the like. A lot of them are kind of weird. I never listened to the UFC ones. But he's just kind of, I don't know, he's just got he is he is very talented as an interviewer of letting the person talk and kind of keeping it unhinged so the guy can or girl can explain the point but he see i see i think that's a terrible tactic you know i (laughs) I like to jump in put my point of view in the overall situation like it is the lucas askey experience like my name is first so i I would ultimately want my opinion but no continue what the the point you were trying to make there i think the the point is that um well i forgot because you rudely interrupted me no, it's that he, uh, but he's very good at that. If somebody says something that he doesn't agree with, he'll just flat out say, "No, no, you're wrong." Here's why, and he's act very smart. He's comes, he looks like a brute meathead UFC guy. Um, he is very smart. He usually there's not too many things that he doesn't know, but when he doesn't know, he says, "Oh, I, I don't know," and he lets the person explain it to him, and then he makes his like, "I agree," or "I think it's kind of biased," or whatever. So he's good at it, but he's never he never makes it personal of like, oh, you're wrong and bigoted and this and those. So I think that's why he has the appeal of getting people from everywhere on both sides, whether if it's political, but anybody from some Chris Stapleton to the like Neil deGrasse Tyson. I was listening to one of his like from a few months ago. So I think he's just good at all that, and obviously he's been aided by his uh, previous stardom, and he was just very ahead of the podcast game. He was doing it when it wasn't even really a podcast, so. Um, when it comes to the Lucas Askew experience, I think it's not only that we're here to experience you, I think it's that you're just the host of an experience, so it doesn't have to always be about you, sweetheart, but hey. Well, thank you. Very well put. He did, does have the, the wide mass audience. He has the, the allure and, and notoriety that the Lucas Askew experience doesn't have yet, but as we build this inventory, we create good podcast content like the one you're hearing right now. This is what it will take. These are the, these are the foundational episodes to build it up to that, that type of time. Hey, man, the Catholic Church wasn't built in a day. The faithful had to get more converts, and then the faithful grew. So there's, there's time, there's hope, there's reason to believe, there's optimism, and I'm here to spread the gospel. So what does it mean for you to be part of the LAE faithful? Uh, I mean, well, I mean, I feel like I've been an early, I'm like an early adopter, not to use it, a cheesy tech term, but I'm an early adopter of the Lucas Askew experience. I was more so an early adopter of the Lucas Askew experience than Lucas Askew was of the Tim Ryan experience. I actually took a, an awkward conversation while traveling with you in Australia to realize that I thought we were friends and you weren't sure where, where we were yet. You weren't comfortable with that label. Um, but should, why, should, 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 we, should we unpack that for the for the listeners out there of why there's sure, this? Why not? There's this animosity of are we are we truly friends or not? So 
it's still hard to tell now that we've been so far apart for so many years now after working with each other it's uh i it's i feel like i'm riding a bicycle but i may have hit my first bump and i may have just fallen off i don't know (laughs) we'll see where it goes (laughs) so you you explain to your listeners kind of your side of it and i'll i'll go from there okay so the the correct side of the story is uh so i I met tim work working at a unnamed sports marketing agency in uh, san francisco (laughs) And we, we, were, we were both doing very similar type of tasks. We were both at a similar point of our career. We both bachelors. I was relatively new to the city. You had been here about a year before. So I was trying to make friends. You did seem like a, just one of those East Coast individuals. In, in Canada, we, we refer to the East Coast a little bit different than us West Coasters of uh, Regina, Saskatchewan. So I, I kind of viewed you in that, that same light early on. Ultimately, you saw that uh, there was a friendship developing earlier than I did. I, I really saw this as a, a acquaintance kind of colleague that I hung out with, only in groups, not, definitely not in a one-on-one or one-on-a-couple setting. We decided to have a uh, an adventure, the, the really the start, one of the first experiences that I had in, in my adult life that cultivated the idea for the LAE, where you, myself, and another unnamed colleague, that we, we won't refer to on this pod, uh, <laughs> went to Australia and uh, had, had an adventure a lifetime, Sydney, Melbourne, uh, Byron Bay, and it was on one of the beaches where we were talking about uh, our, our first times together. And, I, think uh, it was, I think it was in Sydney. I think it was, yeah, it was early on in the trip in Sydney where the, the F word... Really, the, really set the tone for that two, the rest of those two weeks. <laughs> exactly. The F word of, of friend came up and... It was it was clear that you thought it was early on when I had really just joined GMR, and I thought it was a couple months prior to our trip to Australia that I really actually considered you um, a friend. So that, it was a disagreement, you know. We've I don't know if we fully hashed and put the water under the bridge. So maybe by the end of this episode, we can we can get there. I don't know if we're there yet, but we can get uh, there. All, all joking aside, as the faithful. May soon, uh, soon learn uh, of experiencing my lovely voice over the next few hours. I love being sarcastic, and this is well water under the bridge. I feel like we hashed it out, maybe even on the Sydney Bridge while we're uh, sightseeing down there. Who knows? But yeah, it was a slightly awkward moment. Um, hey, I'm a hundred percent Irish Catholic background. I'm a romantic at heart. So when I saw this long, lanky, lean, mean fighting machine come in from Milwaukee, the headquarters. I was like, ooh, who's this new guy? We had already had a Canadian come in from the headquarters, another gentleman who we just won't mention his name. Uh, and he was supposedly a good friend. And so we had a second Canadian coming in from headquarters. I thought, oh, maybe we've got a wave. And I may have, maybe she had maybe been an East Coast little elitist in the beginning. I think I also had a slightly unfair uh, bias put against me on purpose by the rest of the office since they loved egging me on for any and all things East Coast. Um, I was affectionately named JFK a lot and made fun of all my preppy attire. So I think that was built up a little bit uh, with some exaggeration at, at, at the jest of myself. And hey, always having a good time with it. So that may have fed into your little skepticism of where we were and who this East Coast kind of kid was. But I'm a good guy at heart. I like being sarcastic. And you know, I, I was friends pretty quickly. I'm that kind of romantic kind of guy. So led to a little bit of some awkward uh, assumptions of when the F label really was stamped down, but it was permanently stamped down with the Australia's trip 
That's for sure. So uh, that's all that matters. That, that, I, I would agree. That unnamed friend, you, you and I connected and bonded over his portrayal during the, the, those two weeks. And not to mention, obviously, we may get into that later where I died in Australia and came back as, as, <laughs> as, as, a, as a new man. But uh, I actually think our best bonding moment was pre-death. It was walking around the city of Melbourne and uh, improving ra- sports radio announcing the name of every single shop slash restaurant that came in front of us since all the signs were hanging down from a covered walkway. So we each had about five to ten seconds before the next sign came up and we volleyed for serve as the tennis fan you are would appreciate who would have the funnier line of, of saying some ridiculous name that used or line that used the name of the restaurant or store we went by, much to the demise of our friend who was over it within five seconds. And we probably went on ten minutes straight of this lunacy through Australia through Australia. So once once that happened I knew I was I was set for life. I met my match. I met my Canadian beau and the rest is history. The rest is history. <laughs> I I agree. And that was another pivotal point of just the the genesis of of how the Lucas Askew experience was created. That that type of banter is is what I wanted to to bring on the show, and uh, hence why you're on season two. We're raw, authentic, emotional. I think you can; those adjectives do describe you to a T. Probably more the raw and authentic. <laughs> but uh, as you said, you're uh, you're a romantic folk at heart. I think we've officially squashed any beef that that may have been there. We can, we can call each other friends and, uh, and and move on. Is this the first squa- beef squashing moment on the LA? L- this, this is. A lot of it has continued one of the previous episodes with uh, the Kiwi. I listened New, to it. I enjoyed that podcast. New, New Zealand uh, colleague. We're, we're not friends there yet. Uh, I think yeah. there, there's a couple things that, that need to happen. But when we do the return trip to Australia and New Zealand, we can, uh, we can check that out. I'm down. So you mentioned uh, being an early adopter on a lot of things. Uh, well, the LAE and the Joe Rogan experience. Another thing that I credit you for being an early adopter, you saw this entity before anyone else did, was this little startup now conglomerate known as Barstool Sports. When I, when I first met you, you were on the Barstool bandwagon when it was just a racy site, um, not knowing what it would become not suitable for work into what it is now, a, a huge media platform. Pardon my take, a, a podcast that is emulated by a lot of folks. Everyone wants to be the next bar stool and connecting with the millennial audience. As an early adopter, how did you get connected and, and where did you see the, the potential of this platform? Uh, I got connected to one of the early writers on Barstool, the uh, writer known as, as KFC. He was a Fordham grad, which for the LAE faithful, since I'm sure your uh, listener in Iceland will not know, Fordham University, the proud Rams, an athletic juggernaut out of the Atlantic 10, uh, is a small Jesuit college based in in New York City. And one of the first few writers or uh, bloggers, should I say, on that website was a uh, Fordham alum. So you kind of get started being a sophomore, junior in college, just hearing these people or fellow uh, classmates talk about this site that had some <clears throat> funny articles. Back in the similar times of 2007, 2008, Facebook was still its kind of innocent, raw self where 
you were excited to get a friend request and excited and, to go. And, and then the friends the became your friends. And then yeah. spam ruined that. But that, they're here now and they're focused on you, not your data. But continue. Exactly. So it uh, was a simpler time. So that's kind of just how it started and how the, the site started getting popular. And obviously, I would talk about it to my friends. My friends would talk about it to their friends. And it just grew very word of mouth, grassroots type of uh of a thing and it just started getting very slowly but surely bigger and bigger and it was still very a boston new york uh, east coast contingent which most kids growing up in that area all go to the same kind of schools i mean i know everybody in my high school the guidance counselor sent you to the same schools to look at and it happened year over year so i think that it being in the northeast which is so heavily populated everybody going to the same areas for schools and then the same cities afterwards with New York and Boston, the athletic rivalry feeding into it, all those things were just kind of a perfect storm for it to start getting bigger as a East Coast contingent. I think Chicago is the next city they added uh, with the with now the very popular uh, personality uh, Big Cat, who ran that site, and they were all and they started adding a few here and there, and they started as kind of a, each city had its representation to latch onto that uh, local loyalty, and especially it was still very sports driven at the time. And as they kind of just slowly but surely started getting bigger, they started kind of delving more into lifestyle stuff and social stuff. Like the head guy, El Prez, started talking about Bieber all the time. And it just kind of slowly but surely kept getting bigger and bigger. And I think for everybody that I knew that was a big fan of it back then through about 2012, which I think was about the time we met. I forget when you started. At GMR. 2013. It had gone for so long at that time that I always said it kind of had a weird similarity to Seinfeld in that it had these four or five characters because they weren't they never went by their real names. It was their code name of El Presidente or Barcelona Big Cat or whatever that you just kind of got to slowly but surely like know these guys. They'd all I mean, they I mean, to their to credit, they cranked out content. They were always writing 10 to 12 blogs a day and never seemed like they took a day off. Uh, so you kind of got to know these guys a little bit and see them grow, kind of in a way of Seinfeld. You got to know uh, Jerry's quirks um, and Elaine's quirks and all the other characters. So I always thought it was like that. But Twitter still being new and everything else, they really were able to say a lot of stuff that pushed boundaries that nowadays would just probably just be flat out unacceptable. But I think that's kind of what contributed. just started getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger to all of a sudden come 2014, they – they really started to get pretty popular uh, across the country. I think they had gotten into the college scene and had dedicated college campuses or college websites, and they just really fed on the loyal to their fans, which I think came from they always stayed pretty true to themselves and were fairly unfiltered, were never um, like polished and watered down. And then they were bought by the big media company, Churnin Group, which I was stunned when they were bought and for the amount of money that they were bought at. So I think there's so many countless other factors, and I don't want to rant for too long uh, and, and, and bore the LAE faithful too much, but I think they had a lot of perfect storm-type things that built them up to where they were. And then in the past three to four years, once getting bought, they have done a good job in not letting their own success get in their way and kind of becoming complacent. And they've stuck to being fairly authentic still to who they are, uh, which does, which ruffles a lot of feathers and a lot of people definitely don't like. Uh, but I think it's helped 
convince people that, hey, we have these numbers for a reason. And then once they started getting all the ad buys and partnerships from brands, they've stayed true to it and they haven't lost the fans who I definitely was skeptical that once I knew they were going to start getting a lot of ad media and knew how that industry worked from my years at uh, unnamed agency. And I figure once that happened, they become watered down just like everybody because corporate dollars always speak to it. And to their credit, they've done a really good job at either aligning with brands that it makes sense and they do the things that our company always dreamed of recommending to clients. But I think they also, in this day and age, had a good uh, sense of getting clients that were willing to just say, yeah, let's do that, even though um, it may not it may not be kind of kosher or totally socially acceptable. I mean, one of the guys, the part of my take podcast, I think it's been brilliant. They have chocolate milk who approached them because the producer who always does a lot of the questions and ad reads literally is just not a good reader. And Chocolate Milk apparently approached them and, and purposely just took the most ridiculous and hardest spelling words, sometimes even in different languages, and made him just read it for like a minute and a half at a time just to make this kid mess up, which is totally not selling any. There's no like buy Chocolate Milk because he can barely read half of it. But because I'm enjoying it, laughing my butt off, got an inside joke that I know because I've been listening to this podcast. Yeah, I kind of want to buy some chocolate milk now. So they've had they've done really well with a lot of good stuff like that, and I think it's just all fed to it. But then also, the, I think I think their Instagram account they've done really well in having the types of uh, engagement and posts and all the other metrics and, that and, and people s- sending in videos and, and photos to yeah. connect that. See, I was utilizing the, a Joe Rogan tendency there. I wanted to interject during those times, but I, I let I let you speak because you, you were knowledgeable about the subject. I kind of listened intently. There's some areas that I agree and not agree. I'd never heard of you compare it to Seinfeld. I see what you're talking through. Seinfeld, you have a show about nothing. And Barstool started as sports, but it's just more of just talk. You're talking about life and things that are that are coming in to people's daily lives. And you were having those like main core characters of Big Cat and El Presidente become like the George Costanzas of the world, the Kramers of the world. I thought it was an odd comparison, but I actually will give you kudos because I think there's there's some similarities between the show about nothing and the part of my take about nothing as well. It, it, it's true, and I had forgotten about that Seinfeld was a show about nothing. Like that's what they always said about it. But it is true. The the guy El Prez says that part of the reason why he started it was just to be a site that would mimic you being at the bar, just talking to a guy about whatever game was on. Those types of conversations are completely unscripted, unfiltered. Speaking about Barstool, last thing, and then we'll pivot. They are they, they've gone to like obviously different colleges have their own scene and, and campus ambassadors. They have a Barstool Saskatchewan handle. Where people are are, are posting barstool related videos and, and photos in the Saskatchewan neighborhood it brings a smile to my face that a brand like this has grown this much that it's now in the great metropolitan area of Regina. So yeah, I mean it's uh, it's been. I mean when they got bought, I was very skeptical on if they could really go any farther than they already were. I didn't see them <clears throat> continuing to growing their social kind of handles like they have and get the exposure. I actually didn't listen to part of my take for the first few months because I was like, ah, eh, whatever. I also wasn't really into podcasts then. Now, since I drive all the time, I've got... And because the LAE has grown, you really have, have become hooked. But continue. I, so I didn't see it happening with them, but it's you can see the power that they've had 
Um, I mean, even as as an example, loyal Buffalo Bills fan that I am, Bills Mafia, the core essence of Bills Mafia has been around probably forever. And then Barstool came around. They actually first went to a Bills Patriots game just to like because the, obviously they're big Boston contingent and they're big with the Patriots. They went to just watch the Patriots just crush the Bills, and they just happened to choose that game. And they went up, and as Prez was doing his kind of grassroots sideline reporter shtick thing where he's just interviewing everybody and asking ridiculous questions, they just caught footage of these Bills fans just kind of turning it up and going crazy. So they then planned to go another year up with the actual film crew and watch them because Bills Mafia has been a hashtag with Bills fans for a while. It didn't get tied to busting people through chairs until they went up and just saw it that they, oh, these random weird kids from Buffalo started it. And now it's absolutely huge. I get texts from guys in San Diego, up in Seattle, down I mean, everywhere, being like, "Oh, Bills Mafia!" Like, duh, duh, duh. it's now fueled that now the Bills Mafia—they're self-aware and they've just taken it to a whole new level. But Barstool gave them that exposure that kind of brought it to life to begin with, which is just funny for me as a, as a Bills fan. Well, Barstool, a great rags to riches story of humble beginnings, growing understanding like who their core is expanding nationally and, and building it up that's what we all aspire to be not just in well, podcasts but our, well, in our own daily life well to bring this back to the lucas askew experience yeah as as everything and to, should and to pull a, a lucas askew and inject while you're talking what are your thoughts on barstool i know you kind of fluttered around since they've got obviously they're big in college football i've sent you plenty of posts and stuff over the years that i know you've enjoyed because they're hilarious um, but I don't know quite yet if you fully. I'm not a I'm not a stoolie in terms of the the full sense. I I respect what they are doing, providing this connection between sports, culture, entertainment. This is their niche. This is what they're going to create. People will get upset with them because partly because of jealousy that they're stealing some of their traditional market. They post some stuff that it's I mean it's content online, yeah. and I've always gotten annoyed by any argument of people being offended by them and trying to go after them because it's it's content online that's supposed to be like you're opting into it i don't like stuff on the disney channel anymore because i'm not six okay well i'm not going to go watch that now and granted yes it's not a same comparison because the disney channel isn't going to offend anybody <laughs> but it's part hey so some of those episodes of hannah montana i got quite quite <laughs> upset with because the plot twists were too much. She was Miley, and then she was Hannah. It was, it was, it was a little bit too much for me. But they're, they're a new age company, and people that haven't adopted to where we are in today's landscape and, and style will still be upset. But if you actually utilize them as the model of this is how to evolve and help your core, develop your audience, and grow with, while staying true to your brand, this is a company that does this to a T. Yeah, I agree. My consumption of Barstool is definitely at its lowest and will probably continue to go lower just because I feel like I'm so swamped all the time with work. But also since I'm commuting a lot more between all my job sites and from, from my apartment when I have to go out, out east, I have plenty of time in the car, so I've, my consumption of podcasts has gone way up. And I think they're great because instead of listening to the news where you actually get information in 90-second to 60-second bursts, um, and especially if it's on the political side of things, it's three people talking over each other for those 60 seconds. It's, it's, it's terrible to have to listen to. Podcasts, you can sit down and 
uh, a la Joe Rogan and soon to be a la number two in the world, LA, the LAE faithful, um, free flowing talk is that's where you get to really learn from people, understand uh, a potentially complex subject because uh, nothing in this world is black and white. And the more you let people talk and the longer you let a conversation be free flowing or whatever, it's where you learn more from people. It's how you grow as a human and it's how you end up being happier as a human. So that's why I think podcasts are interestingly probably going to be around for a good bit because it's, while you may get Khalifi Farms, and I, I love their almond milk. Uh, the, 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 there's nothing better than a, a nice glass of Khalifi Farms almond milk. Uh, I'm curious to see where everything in general in the world goes in terms of content and, and media and, and, and then where the ad dollars are all going to go. This is probably one of the most serious conversations you and I have ever had. I, I feel I'm going to have to edit this to provide a little bit more hilarity. <laughs> you, we, we went on the soapbox, had a, had a great conversation, but I, I want to remind folks that uh, you, you're not just this uh, philosopher that lives out in, uh, in Brooklyn, New, New York. You, you still are a lax bro at heart and well, likes to have a good time. Well, exactly. Well, it's funny that you mentioned Brooklyn because as I've been telling people, I, I am the new age 2018 hipster. I'm spinning the hipsters on themselves. I'm, How so? Although I've, I've never thought that I'm the most preppy. I feel like I, there's, I've always been at a level 7, maybe 8 out of 10. Um, I've never been a 10. I live in Greenpoint now. It's all inked up tattoos and curly mustaches and black leather or blue hair or anything like that. And then you've got this kid walking in baby blue pants or a nice yellow polo shirt, walking his cute little Australian shepherd dog. I don't belong whatsoever. Um, and there's also a lot of Polish people around. It's a little Polish enclave in New York City. Little no fact. Oh, wow. So it's, uh, it's a hipster's paradise. It's, it's the mission before it was the mission. It's Williamsburg before it became Williamsburg. It's not yet discovered, so... I am absolutely the only one on an island by myself, and if it wasn't for my gut, my dog, I would get a lot more dirtier looks for all of my attire. So I'm, I'm the one that you need to accept for being different now, hipsters. Mm-hmm. I'm the one who's not conforming. I'm the one who's how, hey, how does it, how does it, how does it myself. feel to have the the shoe on the other foot now? It feels different, and obviously, I'm I'm joking. I mean. I know I'm not ever going to make preppy white boys an actual hipster genre whatsoever. Bringing it back to me. Bring it very similar <laughs> in terms of I, I needed the mic. You know, it's been, it's been away for too long. Come on, bring it in here. I'm just not comfortable. Um, like Growing up in Saskatchewan, you have people that 95% of the folks are, are living near, nearby and, and you can see a life and career. And those people that, that do go out, you learn so much about yourself, so much about other cultures, other people that you can actually bring bring it back. And I think sometimes the the problem that people have is that acclimating back into that culture that you can either revert back to who you were because that's what you see those other people at or you just don't connect with those people because you don't necessarily have the, all of the sh- shared experiences. So I'm interested to see what camp you were in um, because I think I've felt both just in terms of not fully connecting with those because I have those additional experiences, but then mm-hmm. it's been able to allow me to just see others in, in a different light and provide people other perspectives that they may never have had in their life. So that, which is rewarding to me. No, I've definitely in coming back I mean, 
if it feels like I was never gone. So for me, it's it being away for five years. I was also a person that never really lost touch with anybody. That it, I was talking to people so routinely and actually seeing them not too infrequently for living across the country. Do I have some friend groups where is it different from five years ago when I first left? Yeah, for sure. Time happens that when you see people less often, people get married, people get uh, into long-term relationships where they're not hanging out with the guys or the or the group as much anymore. I mean, that's just natural, but. In terms of overall, I don't think there's um, it feels any different. I just definitely in, in that sense, I just feel very different in that San Francisco allowed me to open up and and, and be confident that I I went out not knowing a single person on the West Coast in a major city and created a whole new group of friends with a whole new different type of experiences. I was a kid who went out to San Francisco entirely on his own volition got the job on his own, took the chance, made a whole new type of life for myself and was able to come back and add that to my everything else I, I kind of cultivated here. I feel this, I may kind of pivot the, uh, the theme of this show to just really be a, a video and, and montage to the Tim Ryan because <laughs> you're, you're really showcasing this side of you. A, I, I really haven't seen you being this uh, philanthropic individual that's kind of putting others first. and uh, But it, it's good to, <laughs> good to hear and uh, that that's how you're, you're viewing yourself. And I think you, you definitely have a, a future as a mayoral candidate, um, maybe in, in a part of Brooklyn um, that you can, no. you can connect others and, and bring them all together. No, man, I'm, I'm set, I'm set for life. I've, I'm back in the, I'm in the family business. I'm, I'm set to take over once Tim senior, steps down hopefully um hopefully nothing uh, uh nothing goes wrong there but i've enjoyed it enough that uh yeah i don't i wouldn't want to do anything different as of right now i'd maybe change some things of how we do our 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 business differently maybe grow our client base outside Ooh, of, i i hear outside some dis- dissension area. within the ranks is is, is tim senior and well, no. lae faithful that may get a offended with what you're saying no, he's. Uh, I'm sorry, Lucas. He is unequivocally not an LAE faithful. I don't think he knows what a podcast is. Um, but uh, no, he's. I've, yeah. I've got a long time before I'm even within the potential ranks of actually having some influence and in swaying a decision regarding him or or Mayfair Construction. But uh, no, that's just a long term goal. I think it would be cool to build something outside of just the New York area. And, He's been so successful at doing what he does. Uh, I, I don't blame him for having zero <laughs> intuition to try and get get outside the area. Because why? He's almost sixty. He's been crazy successful. If it ain't broke for him, don't fix it. So uh, if I'm in the the New York Connecticut area and I'm, I'm looking for a construction company, why why Mayfair Construction? Like what uh, what do you bring to the table that you can tell our listeners that are thinking of maybe buying a home uh, in the area or one day becoming a, a future client of yours? Uh, well, we're definitely very, uh, we're, we're small compared to most of the, the companies in our um, our kind of like client range and house range, but uh, we give you that, that personal service that I think a lot of companies will give you lip service and say that they do, but then they've got a bunch more people working for them that you're given an, an army, an army of uh of servants instead of the kind of the, the family treatment that, that we give you, not literally, but now literally because, because I'm on board uh, with my dad, but most of our clients and projects nowadays, 
I'd say over the past 12 we've, we've had over the past uh, four to five years, I think 11 of them are either referrals or second projects with the client um, with only one being a brand new one. So I think that's where it just speaks volumes that they, they, they truly don't do come to know as his family and as being kind of uh, almost like can't, they can't live in the home without us. And they uh, would recommend to their best friend, like, Hey, if you're building a house, like these guys are absolutely worth it and they're going to look out for the best in you and put forward the great, the, the best product possible. I mean, we're, we're not trying to build a house that's going to fall apart in two years. That's, that's not what people are looking for when they're buying their dream home. Exactly. Exactly. We, we just have enough yeah, time. Dot com. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any, any social channels that, uh, can we follow you on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram? Uh, Instagram is the only one. Uh, I was actually very reluctant to start it at all. Uh, cause I thought that kind of a little bit of a less is more. And since I were such at that high net worth type of house that we build for that, Almost, I almost kind of thought that having an Instagram would make us too normal seeming, and I wanted an, an, an era or an essence of kind of hard to get. Like, oh, I can't find these guys. But since we do build such nice homes, that Instagram kind of just made sense that we can post some great pictures and kind of give us another outlet for outside of our website to showcase our portfolio. And actually, funnily enough, my 57 year old father has become the one who posts the mo- posts more often on it than I do. Um, I actually post more often about work on my personal Instagram than I do on the and I, I see plenty of that, so uh, I've definitely started to hide those notifications. But it, <laughs> may, may, Mayfair can start. What's what's the handle for all those on their phones right now uh, listening? Uh, it's just at, at Mayfair Construction. M A Y F A I R. I can't believe I'm plugging my my company's web my Instagram right now. Um, the L A E Faithful. I mean, I'm going to get I, countless additional followers it, it, it will be a, it will be a spike and uh, again we're, we're not even going to charge a, a source fee for it because that's, well, you know, it, it's cross promotion and that's what we believe in well, no, that's that's my 30th birthday present you're giving to me that, so thank that, you that, that's true happy belated by the way thank you sir yeah. feels uh it doesn't feel any different physically it just feels really weird to say 30 yeah this this is 30 it's been, it's been 10 years of saying I'm 20 or 20 something now suddenly I have to change that and have it be 30, which is that first, like, ugh, I'm old now, decade. That It feels weird. But, hey, 30 is the new 25, I'm hoping, and we'll see where it goes. No, 30 is the new 30. Like, don't, don't change numbers, people. 30 is 30. You make it look good. We'll get you out of here on this one. All my guests go through the same protocol. One piece of advice for the LE faithful. What do you have? Now that you're a 30-year-old, you've got an immense amount of wisdom, what would you share? I would actually say to not be afraid to either upset people or make people uncomfortable. And if, if, it, if it's something that you truly believe in, whether you're saying it or, or whatever, you just don't be afraid to kind of be yourself. Um, being yeah. yourself. Being yourself. T- Tim yeah. Ryan living out the mantra of season two, raw, authentic, and emotional. Thank you for coming on, on the show. I'll actually allow you to uh, you can close it. You can close it as as we go into uh, the final segment. Any last words? I'll give you the final mic. I'm gonna take. I don't want to take your show. This already has been too much. The Tim Ryan experience, and not the Lucas asking. Oh, don't, don't worry. Don't worry. I will we, say we, that we will be cutting out a large swath of our conversation. <laughs> but five percent of it. Um, no, I would only like to close and by putting you on the spot and make you um, 
agreed to something that hopefully you will because it'll make you look really bad at the LAE faithful if you don't, that if the LAE faithful do have at least positive reviews on it, you have to bring me back for an in-person, not over Skype interview, so we really can truly have our our type of old school conversations that we did. Uh, it can be season three, it can be season four. I don't I don't want to go past season five. I think that's too far removed, and and God knows where I'm going to be at the ripe old age of 33 or whatever. But just promise me that. Hopefully in New York, because you finally actually visit me, you not good friend who's never come in the past two years. The heck. That, that, that's true. Here, here's the wager to uh, the LA faithful. A challenge to LA faithful. <laughs> we've we've done 26 odd episodes of the LA. We've got a list. Some have been listened a ton. Some have not been listened as much. If you can make the Tim Ryan episode in the top five after two weeks of being on air, you, you've you've got your deal. That I will I will guarantee. Bring you back on live in living color. Onto the LAE podcast. You you heard it here first. I bring, I believe in you, fellow LAE faithful. Swipe up, unsubscribe, resubscribe, five star, just like my part of my take boys do it. Swipe up, unsubscribe, resubscribe, five star. Let's get me to the top five. Let's get me in person, and I'll hopefully try not bore you to death a second time. Tim Ryan, there it is. We've we've talked a lot. We've covered many topics. Appreciate the time. Best of luck in your thirtieth decade beginning that that was wrong that was that, that, that will need to be edited out <laughs> best of luck in your third decade beginning <laughs> one, one of those one of those will have to go 